1: Welcome back to The Dear Prudence Show once again. And as always, I am your host, Dear Prudence, also known as Mallory Ortberg. With me in the studio this week is Alexis Coe, an award-winning historian and author of Alice and Frida Forever, as well as the forthcoming biography on George Washington titled You Never Forget Your First. Alexis, welcome.
0: Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. I wish I was with you, but I'll settle for the studio.
1: I do too, and I also just want to say I'm really proud of how radio my voice just sounded. You, you, know, you sound good. Hear people on the radio, and they're like, "And with us in the studio is the host of such and such a thing, who has written about this and also that." And you're just like, "Man, that person's really got their life together." That's how I feel just now. I
0: like it. It sounds high energy. It sounds like you're on it. <laughs> it's good. Thank you.
1: Um, so before we jump into the letters, I wanted to invite you into something I've been thinking about a lot this week. Um, as you may or may not know, Nicole Cliff, my old business partner and, and best friend and Tahila, um, will periodically send me links to uh, threads on the subreddit about relationships and relationship advice, which we are both just fully obsessed with and read all of the time.
0: I, I know that, but I am not like like I know Reddit through you, too.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I should start sending you way more links because we will just constantly be like, can you believe this? Can you believe this? I have strong opinions. I really think they should do X, Y and Z. And it brings me a lot of joy as if I'm not already like giving tons of advice every week. I'm like, I need I need more. I never answer, just in case anyone out there is curious. I do not have a Reddit account. Um, I just lurk. I'm just creepy. Anyways, uh, what we were talking about was uh, ways in which I think I'm way more socialist than I realize. And I'm very socialist when it comes to children in public spaces. Like, I get very, like... You know, regardless of your personal feelings on whether or not you want to have children, I have this really strong sense of like, children didn't ask to be born. We have to socialize them. They are the citizens of the future. We must all be like kind and patient with children in public. Uh, and and I was just thinking about it because she was sending me this link to someone who was like, uh, my girlfriend and I have been together a couple of years. We're supposed to be going to my brother's wedding in a few months. He's marrying his longtime girlfriend, and they have a two-year-old. And my girlfriend doesn't want to go to the wedding because, um. She thinks she should she doesn't want to be at a wedding where there's a child, um, which I, I I felt very strongly about. And it just made me realize, like, I'm a real damn socialist when it comes to children and our like collective duty uh, to help raise them.
0: Oh, I totally agree. And I would f- I would go a step further. And I would Do say it. that as a society, we should require that children take civics classes like on the weekend and and like different citizens should teach it. I, I'm. I think that that is totally okay, And I agree as a society, we should come together to help these children. They're here. They didn't ask for it, but we got to deal with them.
1: Yes. No, and I I, I mean, I... I want to also stress, I think it is fantastic and wonderful when people are like, I am not just childless, I am child free and I feel very strongly about this. I do not wish to raise children and uh, it's for such and such reasons. And I'm like, yes, that's beautiful and glorious and you're part of the rich tapestry of life. But um, <laughs> people and both childless people and people with children can do this, right? They can get really churlish about children in public. Um, and that's not to say children can't be irritating in public. They're children. It's what they do. Um, but I always feel this really like weird sense of like civic pride if I'm like. like, on a plane and a child is being just, like, a lot. And I'm just like, yes, you are becoming a person. You don't know this (laughs) yet, but, like, welcome to society. I'm here for you. It sucks. Yeah,
0: and there are plenty of adults on that same plane who know better and are acting terribly.
1: Yeah. Sometimes that person is me because I am just <laughs> weeping openly because my brain doesn't understand flight. Um, and nobody likes that. Nobody likes to sit next to me on planes because I'm just shaking and sobbing uncontrollably. Um, and I always apologize to my seatmates and they're always very nice about it. But I was like, boy, I wish I weren't sitting next to you. I mean, we shouldn't be in the air at that at that height. We so don't like, belong there, enough. Alexis. We don't belong in the sky. Like, it doesn't want us there. It wants to push us back down to the ground. I believe that firmly. I feel that gravity is just the sky getting mad at us and just pushing us down. Like, get out. This is my house. Um, And we should obey that hand. Do you take Amtrak instead? Amtrak's not really a thing on the on the West Coast. I mean, it exists, but it's not like, yeah, it would be really challenging to take the train like to L.A. It would be like a nine-hour event with lots of stops I I took Um, a no I just
0: I took a train from San Francisco down to Santa Barbara and I remember it took like 11 hours and they ran out of water
1: (laughs) yeah that's about what it's like trains are really fun but they are not like a practical substitute for planes so I just uh I just do it I just do it and I'm like I know that this is safe um and and I'm going to die anyways. We've gotten really far afield from both socialism and children. Um, but but listeners, I just want you all to know we have a collective obligation to help other people's children um, interact with us in public. It does not mean we have to have children ourselves or that we have to, like, offer to babysit people for free. Um, although, if you wanted to get really into my worldview, I do think that childcare should be free. Uh, subsidized, at least. Anyways, uh, way off the point. We're all going to die someday. The sky is scary. Alexis is smart. Uh, let's answer some questions. Yeah. On. Let's
0: do it. Let's All do right.
1: It. Uh, will you do us the, the kindness of reading the first letter? Subject.
0: My love fears I'm giving up too much. I feel incredibly blessed with a good home, my dream job. And 18 months ago, I met the man that I want to share my life with. He was born with osteogenesis imperfecta, a handicap that, among other things, put him in a wheelchair and makes his bones break easily. He has spent half his life getting surgery. Of course, this has made finding a job very hard for him, but he has just been offered a steady job in his field. The only problem is that it's halfway across the country. I am happy to move. He will probably never get a chance like this again, but he's worried that I'll regret it as I would have to give up my very well paid job and sell the house. I know I can't get a job like this there, but I've already been offered a good job, although with a salary that it's about a quarter of what I get now, still a good salary. He will get about half of my new salary. So in total, it's a big pay cut. Splitting up is not an option. Neither is a long distance relationship. So either he will most likely never find a job or I will give up my dream job. For me, it's easy. Both of us having meaningful work will make us more equal, happier, and will be the best in the long run. He is much more unsure, feeling I'll get bitter. Any advice on what to do? We are both guys, so it's not the classic, a woman giving up her career for a man. We are both 32 years old.
1: This is really charming. I love this. I um, did And too. congratulations on both being guys. Yeah. Um, and they're 32. And you're not giving up yeah i love the little like details at the end like one of us has brown hair um <laughs> no but i thought that you're not was giving up your career.
0: because it's like oh, absolutely they're not like 25 so he's not like i do i may be on this track i don't know i'm in love and i'm feeling brash and um you know and and he's also i, I thought yeah 32 you you work really hard and at that point in your career you've made it hopefully to a place that you want to be or you're close to somewhere you want to be so you you have a lay of the land and you know what's important you know you know you how important a job is to you how important a significant other is to you how important the place you live is to you so i feel like i'm i'm on the side of the letter writer like do it move
1: yeah Yeah, no, I mean, uh, I would say continue to talk about it. Uh, These are big steps. And I think it's really good that your partner is expressing all of his concerns, um, because this is not a move you should take lightly. Um, You know, selling your house and moving across the country and taking a big pay cut. Those are big things. Doesn't mean you can't do them. Um, But yeah, keep having that conversation. And it might help both of you kind of lay out, here's the worst Like outcome I can think of. Like for your partner to say, here's what I'm afraid of. We move, you say it's great. The reality kind of sucks. You feel like you're not allowed to say it to me because you're worried that I'll blame myself. So you just kind of keep that resentment to yourself and we drift apart. Um, And then you can sort of address that and you can say, here's my biggest fear, uh, which is something else. and, And that way you guys can kind of operate with the knowledge of what are you both afraid of?
0: I think this is also a case where in life it feels like if you make one decision, that's it. You can't ever go back. You right. can't do anything like that. And this is clearly not the case. He could move. Right.
1: Especially especially for the letter writer, right? Yeah. Like it sounds like it really is the case that it would be very difficult for his boyfriend yes. to get another job in his field. So that is a little more of a this is maybe a once in a lifetime opportunity. But for the letter writer... Um, I, it will certainly, you know, the job you take at 32 is not necessarily the amount of money you're going to make the rest of your life. No. Also, congratulations on making so much money that getting offered a quarter of it is still like a good salary. Well done, you. I noticed that. I was very impressed. I also I, think I really he's want to know what sweet. they
0: do. I mean, he, he wants his partner to be fulfilled and and he knows that that's so important. I am I'm, I'm rooting for him.
1: Right. And and you're not being asked to do anything that, like, limits you, right? Like, it's still work you would like. Mm-hmm. You're still making enough money to pay the bills and put something aside in savings and take care of yourself. You're not being asked to do something that would be an enormous strain or a burden. You're not saying, like, I really want to be with him, but I'd be so lonely if I moved. Like, you sound excited. And if you feel excited and you feel prepared and you guys are willing to talk a lot about it, I say absolutely go for it. And like, have a blast, have a wonderful time. Good luck to them.
0: That was such an easy first question. I'm it so was asked. right. Uh, I'm just. I was sort of like, yeah. no, no qualms. Do it.
1: I should. I should start with more like first letters that are just like easy, happy. Everything's going to be great. <laughs> um, because the the second one is is not in that category. No, um, I'll go ahead and read this one. It is friends. Uh, listeners of the podcast will be very familiar with this type of letter. Uh, it's about another. Uh, Man who won't go to the dentist. Still, by the way, waiting on all those people who are dating women who won't go to the dentist. Have not yet heard from any of you. Um, Man, All right. So subject of this is tooth troubles. My husband has not been to the dentist in 10 years. I'm not aware of any past trauma involving the dentist and he has good dental insurance. Our kids and I go routinely. I have brought up his dental hygiene several times in the past. He doesn't brush every day, and floss is non-existent. He admits he most likely has some cavities. It's starting to gross me out, but I don't think I can say, hey, you're kind of gross, and if you don't take your health and hygiene more seriously, I'm leaving. But I also really want him to go. In the past, I went so far as to set up an appointment, which he later canceled. He said I was acting like his mother, which was probably warranted, and that if I didn't stop, he'd never go because he doesn't like being told what to do. I'm at the point where I don't even like kissing him. What do I do? Ah, oh. I mean, oh. I, is it a little too on the nose to point out that perhaps the reason you are acting like his mother is he is acting like a four-year-old? Yeah, he's a child, and... It's not just uh, so put aside this whole
0: childish dentist thing like you don't want to kiss him. You don't want to be intimate with your husband. That's a
1: problem. And his response to that is just, well, if you tell me, uh, I'm not going to go. Who does that? Why? Why is that an important battle for you to fight, friend? And that's not that can't be limited to this topic.
0: That has to be just the way he conducts himself in their marriage.
1: I hope that it is. I, I feel like. I want to I want to believe that it is. So like just to throw this out there too like guys going to the dentist is not just cosmetic. Um you can actually develop serious heart problems uh from like untreated dentistry issues. The that 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 is real, that is true, that can happen. Like that is in order to live long and healthily, if you have the insurance uh go to the dentist regularly please it's 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 a really it's not just like a nice idea like to put on top of all the other stuff you do for yourself like it is necessary for your well-being
0: it's also it's irresponsible for their family not only because it could lead to some greater health problem but you know he doesn't brush every day he floss is non-existent she writes and he admits that <sighs> he likely has some cavities which means that he's just letting them get worse so it'll be expensive it's it's this is a terrible idea I think they should go to Counseling.
1: I always think that people should go to counseling, but yeah. So, so the letter writer is like, uh, I, I'm not ready to say I'm going to leave, which I think is totally fair. And it's it's hopefully you have more leverage in your marriage than just like either do what I want or I divorce you. Um, hopefully, there are steps to be taken in between that. Um, but I think you got to revisit this right, and and you got to say like, look, um, you say I'm acting like your mother. I don't want to do that. Um, I feel like I'm being put in a position where you are acting like a child. um, And I don't like that either. And, you know, I want you to go to the dentist because you don't smell good. Uh, I don't want to kiss you. It affects the way in which we're intimate with each other. And the fact that uh, it's more important to you to just not be told what to do than to take care of your health and like maintain um, the kind of like baseline level of of personal hygiene that makes intimacy possible is like, that's hurtful to me. That hurts me. Um, What are you getting out of this? Why is this so important to you when you know that it means I don't want to kiss you and I feel like you are another one of my children? Um And really let him sit with that and let him sputter and let him be like, well, uh, you're, I just don't uh. like let him kind of wear himself out like you would a kid throwing a tantrum and just be like, it's really important to me. Like, will you please do this for me? Um And I, I hope that that's helpful. And yeah, Alexis, I think you're right. I think counseling would be great together. And I know he's going to say, this is dumb. We don't have to go to counseling just because I don't want to go to the dentist. And it might just be another thing you want to do that he doesn't. And if he doesn't want to go, go by yourself. Um, Because if nothing else, you know, a good therapist will be able to help you develop strategies for figuring out what you need and how to get it with or without your husband's participation.
0: Absolutely. I think that that. In some combination here, like people need to go to therapy, he has some issue with the dentist, whether it's fear, um, issues with his mother and his wife. Uh, Mm -hmm. She needs to be able to communicate with her husband. And the fact that she even said in parentheses probably warranted when he says that I'm acting like his mother. Right. She's
1: already trying to, like, blame herself. Yeah,
0: that may be I felt bad for her. Um, So some and, and then couples counseling would be great, especially if this if it is this small, if this is the main issue, go now. Well, before
1: it gets yeah, bigger. Yeah. But some Although it, she does, you're kind of right, because she does say that he doesn't like being told what to do. And it's like, nobody loves being told what to do. Uh, maybe some people do. But, like, there are some things everyone has to do. Like, occasionally go to the dentist, wipe your ass, um, take a shower at least once a month. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. wear a shirt in public. Um, there's some shit everybody has to do just to sort of be healthy and functioning. Um, And this definitely falls under that category. And um, like, I I hope it doesn't come to this. But if you need to just say, like, not as punishment, I will withhold kissing until you go to the dentist. But like, look, man, your mouth's full of cavities and it smells bad. I can't kiss you like that. Um, I hope you go to the dentist. I would love it if you went to the dentist. I have to draw a line for myself. I'm not going to kiss you because it's, it's actively... Painful and challenging for me um and and that is an okay thing to say, and if his response to that is fine, as long as I don't have to go spend a couple of hours in a dentist chair, I'll take it like that is some information you will have to take to your therapist mm-hmm. all right let's uh let's 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 move on to kind of a a reverse dynamic um uh, again about a partner who sort of doesn't understand sort of basic needs uh will you read this one for us
0: Mm-hmm. Partner doesn't understand autism. I've been with my partner for just over 10 years, and a couple of years ago, I was diagnosed as being on the autism spectrum. The problem is that my partner thinks I can, quote, get over my autism, that I can stop having ultra-sensitive hearing, start learning to love going to parties with loud music and perfect strangers, and be able to make eye contact with no trouble. How do I explain to him that my brain wiring isn't something that I can, quote, get over? That's, uh, that that
1: is not a good partner. That is, I'm, I'm, I'm overwhelmed. I've tried looking at this from two different perspectives, right? And one of them is a person who is in good faith, genuinely unclear on what autism looks like and um, how, how to, how to deal with being on the spectrum. Um, versus somebody who has a generally dismissive attitude towards... Um, Being on the spectrum, possibly any sort of like um, mental and emotional issues in general and just a sort of walk it off mentality that is not useful or compassionate Um, and kind of depending on how generous I feel like being. I feel like I've got sort of two separate answers for this one, but it
0: sounds like you Uh, just are like, nope, this guy's a jerk. No, I was I was actually getting upset about this on the
1: subway over because here's
0: there is some there's some you know, telling points in this, in this email. So she was with her partner for over 10 years, but was,
1: we actually uh, don't know the gender of the letter writer, just to throw that out there. Okay.
0: This, the letter writer has been with, with their partner for over 10 years and they got diagnosed Mm -hmm. a couple years ago. And that's really true. And so it's, you would, So if, if they had just met, I would think, OK, this person maybe doesn't know about autism, you know, but but it sounds like the letter writer was like, oh, this makes sense. These problems that mm-hmm. I've been dealing with that my partner has been dissatisfied with that that have affected other parts of my life. I have an explanation. So it feels like that has been introduced in the relationship. Um, And if the partner is just rejecting this outright, that's that's a problem.
1: Yeah, no, that's a really good point. I actually missed the the fact that the diagnosis is several years old. Um, that, is, that is not new information. Um, and that doesn't sound like a partner who has been trying to learn or to understand, right? Like, I can certainly understand not having a perfect response immediately. Um, but that's been plenty of time to sort of, like, learn a little bit about how autism works. Um, and it is not, like, Walk it off.
0: No, and um, and what if? I mean, after ten years, and if your partner just wasn't like, pretend that the autism diagnosis wasn't present. If after ten years you just have a partner who doesn't love to go to parties where there's loud music, I, I right. feel like and you're still insisting yeah, they do it all the time. I, that's rude. Yeah. yeah, there's you have to accommodate to a certain extent the person who you're with.
1: Yeah. Yep. Well, then I think if that's the case. I would say, you guys, it is likely that you will break up. Um, I'm also aware you've been together for a decade and, you know, that may not be your first choice. So I I would say that the first thing to say is just have a really clear conversation and just say, um, I want you to, I want to make it really clear um, that you do not get over autism. Um, it is not something you just, like, white-knuckle your way through. Um, I have heightened sensitivity uh, to sounds and to stimulus. Um you know, if you want to, you can kind of like say, like, here is a sort of basic primer on how that works if your partner has never bothered to do a little research. Um, but one thing you need to know is this is how I'm wired. This is how I am. Um, I i am not great with uh, like, sorry, not great. Uh, eye contact does not come naturally and easily to me. It's always going to be a struggle. Um, and and like, you need to adjust your expectations. Um, and I hope you can do that because this is who I am. This is how I work uh, in the world. Um, this is me. This is not something that's going to change if you kind of cajole or pry uh, enough. Um, and I want you to accept it. Can you accept it? And if your partner is willing to try and apologize, um, you know, maybe you guys can go somewhere with that. And if they can't or if they're sort of like, yeah, 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 sure. But then next week they're like, come to this party with me again. Um You guys might not be suited for each other, in part because your partner is a jerk.
0: Agreed, unfortunately.
1: Yeah, you know, and just as I think about it more, it's just hard for me to imagine how in this day and age an adult could think a person can get over autism. Like, that's just not, um, yeah, that's just not an appropriate response, even if you know very little um, about autism or, or what it means to be on the spectrum. Like, that's just... That's just not a good response to hardly anything that your partner is going through unless it's like, I lost a spoon for the peanut butter jar. Then you can say, get over it. But what if it, what if they loved the spoon? Like, feelings matter. No, don't say get over it to people. <laughs> um, there's 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 better ways to say things. So, yeah, your partner's being a jerk. And I don't think it's just that they haven't had this explained to them often enough. Although, in case that is the case, have the explanation, deliver the explanation. But, um, My guess is you could not explain it enough, Um, and he's just always going to sort of assume that if you just tried harder, you could be a different kind of person, and you can't.
0: I'm sure there are resources for him. Like, there have to be support groups or groups he can just go to and talk about this with other people.
1: Like, it's out there. Yeah, and he's had a couple years. This didn't happen last week. Like, he could try to understand. Do you know what I mean? Like, why doesn't he try to get under it? (laughs) I don't know. I like it. Um yeah, yeah. All right. So, more relationship stuff. The subject line of the next letter is hot and cold. I've been in a long-distance relationship for 2 years. I have an amazing career on the coast and even moved my parents and brother out here from our Midwest town. My boyfriend will not move out here. He manages a restaurant and can't find a job in his field there. I fly back all the time to see him and I love him. He could easily find a job here or go back to school. Or stay at home with our kids. I make enough money to make that all possible. He proposed to me last fall and since then will not give me more than a vague timeline. He tells me he wants to get married and have kids with me. I am frustrated and unhappy. I feel like my future is on hold and he will not tell me why. Why propose and give me a ring and then do nothing? Is this normal? I had to read this a couple times to figure out if they have kids now or if the letter writer was talking about hypothetical future kids. And I think I've come down on it's hypothetical future kids. They do not actually have kids together. Same. And I agree. Good. I'm glad we're on the same page there. Um, What is that about, by the way? I'll never understand why somebody actively proposes but kind of doesn't want to. Um, Maybe there are really good reasons for doing that. And I can certainly understand changing your mind. But that's sort of like I'm going to propose but I don't really feel like getting married. is always like, you could have just not proposed, my friend. It's not the Victorian era.
0: You don't propose in a letter after you've exchanged three missives and then, you know, you you break up like a week later. It it means something to get proposed. Yeah, no one's going to No one's going to sue you for breach of contract. We don't do that anymore. No. I, I I have to say, I think there's something awry. Like, I think there's something going on. Oh, with do the... you? Yes. you? You think that this I... isn't,
1: like, the sign that hmm. things are about to go great? Hmm.
0: I think there's something going on. I have on. a problem. Yeah, <laughs> I think so. No, I think there's, like, I think she should have an unexpected visit. I, 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 I'm a little suspect. <gasps> you think she
1: should, like, grab the key and just, like, walk in the house and be like, hello, darling, and then, aha, I knew there was someone else. That sort of moment? He
0: likes the distance. He's hesitant to move. Um, there's like, there's some, she's unsure. There's some distance between them that doesn't totally make sense to me. And it's not just yeah. physical, it's not geographical. I think she needs to figure out what his life there really looks like and then why he won't leave it.
1: But she says she flies back all the time right. to see him. So it's not as if she's not there a fair amount. I feel like I actually feel like what's going on with him is really simple and does not necessarily require a visit, um, which is just that he loves having you far away and as a sort of backup plan and was willing to propose to you to sort of keep you on the line uh, longer, um, but is perfectly happy to be in a relationship where you do most of the heavy lifting. Right. Like you fly back all the time to see him. He's not flying out to see you. Um, you're doing a lot to try to sort of prepare a possible future for him with you um, out here on the coast. And he's sort of like, hey, thanks for doing all that legwork, but I'm sort of good. um, And he's fine with that. And you're not. And that sounds like uh, you should have that conversation.
0: Definitely. I think whether there's something nefarious going on or not, he doesn't want to leave their Midwestern town. And she's really she's really committed to the coast i mean she moved her parents out there and her brother and seems to really like it so Mm -hmm. it's also a matter of um is she willing to kind of move everyone back um is she willing to do like is that another option it it wasn't i do not encourage you to do that i don't think so but i mean yeah i think it's yeah it's telling that everyone else was so ready to come i i i don't think it's normal to answer her final question
1: yeah. And I, I would say this. My worry for you, letter writer, is it feels like what you really want is an explanation. And in until or unless you get one, I think it will be difficult for you to say, this is what I want. If you're not prepared to do it with me, I, I will end this relationship. Um, Because it sounds like part of what you're thinking is just like, I don't get why he's doing this. If I could just figure out why, then it would be okay. And you may not figure out why. Like, you might have to have that conversation with him, and he just gives you more vague answers of, I want to get married someday. I kind of have this, like, thing that might be about to happen that might be good for me here. Don't, you know, don't crowd me. Don't crowd me. And, um, part of you will feel like until you get a really straight answer from him you can't make a decision i think but you can and and if all he's got for you is vague you know, uncertainty, don't really know, not really sure, can't really tell you why, we'll get married someday. I have no plans to move out sometime, but maybe I will. Um, Then that is your answer, my friend. Um, Your future is on hold. That's why you feel like it's on hold. It's fine not to get engaged or not to get married, but it's weird and shitty to propose to someone and then act like they're bothering you when you say, okay, so when would you like to get married? Um, That's lousy. Don't do that to people.
0: And it's also totally okay to say, I don't want my future to be on hold anymore. I, I want to move forward. I need to understand this situation.
1: Right. Yeah. You're saying, like, I make enough money to make all this possible. It's like, I want to take care of him. But it kind of sounds like he doesn't really want you to take care of him. And that's a pretty um, difficult thing to overcome in a relationship if one person's like, I don't really want you to take care of me. And the other person's like, I sure would like to. Um what you have is like a fundamental incompatibility. Um, and that doesn't mean you have to call him and say like, hey, buddy, we're splits. Feeling marrying. I'm mailing you the ring right away. But like, lay it out there. Just be like, here's what I would like. I would like to have a specific conversation uh, about our wedding plans. I would like you to move out here. Um, I would like to give you a lot of freedom to either look for work or we can have kids. Um, do you want any of those things? Are you prepared to do any of those things or have those conversations with me. And if his answer is like, uh, I don't know, I need more time. That is an answer. That is a good enough answer. And even if he never tells you why, and you always have to guess what was wrong with me, why didn't he want a commitment? Um, Just knowing that he doesn't want one's going to be enough for you to make a, a choice.
0: I think that's a really good point that that is an answer. So often we look for, yes, I will move. No, I won't. It's black and white. And and n- no answer is is an answer. And it gives you some agency and some power back to to figure out, like, is this OK for me? Is that answer just being in limbo OK? And if, and if her answer is no, then that's a decision.
1: Right. And sometimes people do bewildering things, right? Sometimes people will pull out the rug from under you. They will, like pull you along on this, like, crash course towards intimacy, and then all of a sudden, like, uh, like jump jump away. And, and it will feel bewildering and confusing, and you will not know why. And you will think there has to be a really good reason. And sometimes there is not a really good reason. And all you have to do is say, this person, like, really barreled us towards commitment and intimacy and then changed their mind. I may never know why, but I do know that I don't want to be treated like that. That is sufficient information. Um, I have to end this relationship. And I'm just not going to get a good enough answer that explains, like, well, why did you do all these things if you didn't think you wanted to be with me? Who knows? The human heart is a terrible mystery. It's garbage. No, it's true. Not like it's it's other stuff, too, but there's garbage in it. Um, but I feel like she's uh, she's going to be okay,
0: though. Like I'm, I'm happy yes. and confident for this letter writer that she's going to figure I it out. Too. She has a good job. She likes the coast. I wonder which coast it is. She has her family yep, around. She's got her family
1: near her. You're going to be great, and you're going to find somebody who does not act like planning a wedding with you is a chore. Totally. All right, let's do the next one.
0: Am I in the closet? I'm married to a man and happy. He's sweet and wonderful, and we have a loving marriage. I'm bisexual. I've never had a relationship with a woman, though I've had feelings for them and had physical experiences with a couple of women. I don't tell anyone I'm bisexual ever. I'm worried people will feel weird about it or that they think my marriage to my husband isn't as strong as it is. I'm not looking to change my relationship with him. I'm just wondering if the fact that I've never told anyone this, apart from my husband, my best friend, and my therapist, means I'm in the closet. Is this worth sharing with people? Am I denying a part of who I am by keeping it to myself? So the first time I read this, I actually thought that she hadn't told her husband. And I was like, yeah, you should tell your husband. But then I reread it (laughs) and I saw that she had and her best friend and her therapist. Yeah, it doesn't sound like she's in the closet to me. Those are the important
1: people. That was the exact same thing that I was struck by reading this. I found it so charming and so conscientious. So Aww. like charmingly conscientious that this person is is worried like, well, I've told the three people in my life that I'm closest to. Am I in the closet? <laughs> um no, you are not in the closet. Um I think sometimes people think of um being out and like maximum disclosure at all times are synonymous. And I don't think that's true. Um so so I, I, I don't believe that anyone short of public figures, and frankly, not even public figures, have an obligation to be out. I think being out um, is good for your mental health and your emotional well-being. I think it's useful, especially if you are actively dating and, and want it to be known what or who you are looking for. Um, I, I do not think it is something that you owe anybody. Um, it's certainly not something you owe people you're not close to. Um, and... I get so sorry I I'm I'm kind of all over the place with this cuz I get a lot of questions from bisexual readers, particularly bisexual women who are in relationships with cis men and feel a little bit like their sexuality is hypothetical. And there's this sort of question of am I allowed to call myself bisexual? Is it just going to needlessly muddy the waters? And I always want to make a couple of things really clear. One is like it's just information, right? It's just an update on your wiring and your orientation. It is not the same thing as a declaration of intent. Um, so I, on that sense, I want people to feel enormous freedom to come out. Um, and and on the other hand, to say um, it is not lying about yourself. It is not internalized by phobia um, not to do so with everybody in your life, um, especially given that you've told the people that you're very, very close with um you're you're great. You've got your bases covered. You are not hiding who you are. Um there's there's nobody who's important in your life that you are trying to pretend is not important to you. Um so if you feel like this is as out as you want to be, congratulations, you're out. Yeah, I think so. And and she mentions
0: that she's worried about how people will react. So that's like a lot of time and energy she's investing in worrying about other people's reactions to this thing that is not um you know, she's not dating. She's not recently divorced. She's she's not thinking about having, at least as far as she said, an open marriage or, or anything yeah. like that. So there's no I mean, she can decide, Uh, you know, should should it come up in conversation? Should someone randomly ask me before you were married? Did you were you ever with a woman? You can decide if you're going to answer that.
1: Honestly or not. Or like it might come up and you can like maybe not now or tomorrow, but like maybe a year from now you're having a conversation with some friends and you can throw out there like, oh, like as a bisexual person who's mostly been with men, um, I think such and such a thing. Um, And that will be fine. And that is is just as useful and meaningful as saying like, hello, everyone, I'm bisexual. Um, And if it doesn't come up and you don't feel comfortable sharing that with people, you do not have to. Um, So I think the real key to this question, for me at least, is... Um, you do not owe anyone this information. Um, you are not closeted. Uh you 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 have I, I think a relationship with the people around you that matches uh your your sort of internal history, experiences, desires, makeup. Um if you ever feel comfortable or safe with another person beyond the inner three and you want to share that information, you absolutely can. Um, and you also do not have to and, and you are not doing a bad job of being bisexual. Um, you are as bisexual as you are, no more and no less. You have the history that you have. That's fabulous. That's wonderful. Good for you. Um, share it if you want. And if you don't feel comfortable, don't. And you're good. You got, your, you got your husband, your best friend, your therapist knowing what's going on with you. That's that's a better track record than a lot of us.
0: Mallory, after, um, after a, a breakup, one before this last one, our friend Lisa said something to me that was really helpful and I want to say to this, this letter writer. Oh, please do. Yeah. So Lisa McIntyre said to me, um, I was saying, oh, I feel guilty about this like very small thing. And and she said, I set you free. And it, oh. and it was like, yeah, it's not a big deal. And there was something about it. So like to this letter writer, we set you free. You're fine. Go yes. on with your life. Yeah.
1: yeah. That's beautiful. And I think the only thing I would add to that is that sort of, is this worth sharing with people? I think anything you feel like talking about is worth sharing with people. Mm -hmm. You are not trying to, like, hijack some gay pride parade and say, I'm the queerest person in the world. Everyone else must, like, use me as a meter for, for something, right? Like, I think sometimes people will think, well, if my real world experience with, like, queerness is limited, does it count? Of course it counts. It's just your experience. Like you're not trying to say anything beyond here's what I've been through. Like anything is worth sharing. Sometimes it's worth sharing. Like if you say to someone, I'm in a bad mood today and I have no good reason and it makes me feel lonely. Um, That's worth sharing, right? Like, Shit's worth sharing. You're not you are not taking up space from anybody else by sharing what is going on with you. And I think that's probably the most important thing to bear in mind.
0: Absolutely. If you need to connect with someone in the moment, if you feel like what you have to offer will be meaningful or you need, um, you know, you you want to give that and you want to receive something, you're sort of open to whatever the reaction will be. Go ahead. If you don't, don't. It's yours for the taking.
1: Yeah. So, uh, man, I'm, I'm kind of bummed I'm reading this next I one. Know. We just went, again, we went from such a nice, fluffy, uh, good one of just like, go, go yeah. in peace, you're great, to just, I barely know what to <sighs> say to this one. But um, I felt like because I wanted to take it off the roster so much, we should probably answer it. Yeah, it's a tough one. So the subject line of this one is just losing my daughter after losing my wife. My wife died 18 months ago. Her death, although not sudden, devastated my now 26-year-old daughter, Annie. They were very close, and I believe this is a pain Annie will always carry with her. I was heartbroken too, but processed my loss differently than Annie. Six months later, I went on a casual date with a much younger woman to test the waters. I never anticipated how quickly I'd fall head over heels for Claire, or that she'd love me in return. When Claire lost her job and couldn't afford to pay rent, having her move in with me felt natural and good. It meant telling Annie and her brother about Claire, which is when my relationship with Annie began deteriorating. Despite Claire being as respectful as possible, Annie lost it when she learned I'd fallen in love so quickly, eight months after her mom died. I really understood Annie's feelings, and tried to give her as much space as possible to process the change. Then Claire became pregnant, and I was genuinely overjoyed. Our happiness seemed to wound Annie, and shortly after hearing I would marry Claire, we had an incredibly ugly fight. I lost my temper and told Annie her mother would be ashamed of her. Which was completely unacceptable, and we haven't talked in almost five months. I miss Annie desperately. I know I hurt her, and I know how hard it must be for her to see me quote unquote moving on. I have no idea how to get her to talk to me, and I fear she never will. I want her to meet her little sister, and I want to apologize, but I don't know what to say. Oh, poor annie well i'm I'm glad the letter writer knows he needs to apologize um man i I cannot imagine using the recent death of her mother to browbeat your daughter into getting excited about your very quick marriage, That's, that was a dark thing to have done. Um, which is not to say that you are a bad person for falling in love even quickly after your wife's death um, or, or, or for getting married or, or starting another family, but um, that was more than completely unacceptable. That was profoundly cruel. Um, and I think before you offer her the sincerest apology possible, you really need to accept that this apology might not fix anything and that she might not want to talk to you for a very long time. Um, and you need to, I think, accept that as an acceptable outcome of your apology. Um, you may want to write it, um, just because she may not be in a place right now where she can hear you. Um. And I think to focus your apology not on, "I'm sorry, I did this, but here's why, or I shouldn't have said what I said, but I really want you to meet your little sister. Um I think that needs to get tabled for a minute. I think you really just need to focus on I hurt you um, in a way that weaponized your grief over your mother. Um, and I am so sorry that I did that to you um, and and don't try to justify it or explain why. Just really focus on um, that was cruel. I should never have said it. I'm so sorry that I hurt you like that. And I want you to know I'll never do that again. Um, and, and let her know that you will respect whatever choice she makes after that. Like, um, I understand if you need time. Um, I am always available to talk, um, but I will not try to press you again. Um, so whenever you want to talk to me, my door is open. Um, and I will work on being able to speak calmly um, and to not throw your grief in your face um, and to not do that to you ever again. Um, and I think that needs to be your first and only uh, point of order. I agree I that's that's pretty important. yeah, yeah.
0: I think that um the letter has to be really specific and just about what he said, there should be no get on board with my new family. Um, I'm sorry, but like it it mm-hmm. it, it was incredibly cruel. and um on to, for that to be said, in addition to all this other stuff that he's asking her to process, which she's clearly struggling with, because there's a brother who um, the letter writer mentions who, you know, seems to be relatively OK with the situation, or at least the the relationship has not deteriorated in the same way. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I was just sort of overwhelmed. I could see this scene and it was it was devastating. So I think, yeah, yeah, it starts with just an apology and a whole lot of patience. And, you know, I'm sorry that he would like all his children in a room when this baby is born, but that it's just the situation. She, you know, Annie would also like the situation to be different, but it is what it is. So they all have to deal with it some way or another in a way that works for them. So being present for... His new partner and and his new baby and his son, however his son will allow him to be, that's his work. And to write this, you know, really contrite focused letter. And Annie has her own work to be done. And when she's ready, she'll come around.
1: Yep. Yeah. And I do want to stress, like... um you know, had you not had that fight and said that thing, we might have a really different answer. I, I don't want to come down so hard um, that I say to the letter writer, you know, you 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 should not have, you know, you should have waited such and such a different amount of time, um, or it is wrong to get married uh, or have an, another child. Um, I, I'm not saying that, but yeah, I mean, there is an awareness in this letter writer of. I did understand that it was hard for her and that things were really sudden. Um, But it also feels a little bit like that's sort of trying to forestall a possible criticism. Um, And I just want you to be open to the fact that when you say you really understood Annie's feelings and you tried to give her as much space as possible, um, that was also like a couple months before you, you married Claire. So... You didn't give her as much space as possible. And I I don't think you should operate your love life based on giving your daughter space. It is okay if you do something that is painful for her. You don't have to be responsible for that pain. You don't necessarily have to fix it. You just have to understand it. But I just want you to kind of be aware that there's a little bit of disingenuousness. To, to this letter, I think like I went on a casual date with a really young woman. Had no idea I would fall in love. She happened to like lose her place. So gosh, I mean, gee, why not move in? And then oh, geez, she got pregnant. Like there's a lot of sort of like who could have seen this coming? And it's like you could have. You did these things on purpose, and that is okay. You did not do something wrong by meeting and falling in love with someone six months after your wife died after what sounds like perhaps a long illness. Um, but I think it. I, I, I imagine it was part of what was difficult for Annie was this sort of sense on your part of this is happening to me. It's completely out of my hands, um, as opposed to these are a series of choices that I am making and I am happy with, even if you do not agree with them and they are difficult for you. Um, I, you know, I am living my own life. Um, and I think that that would that will serve you better in the future to actually acknowledge you are making choices on purpose Um Cupid did not come and make you fall in love against your will um, and and, and that that will be better for you than the sort of, oh, who could have seen this coming attitude.
0: I think that I'm so happy for him that he that he's fallen in love um, after what, yes, seems like a long illness. And, um, you know, after such a long marriage, at least 26 years, that's Claire's age. It, you know, there are worries about finding someone new, about moving on, about being lonely. sorry, you mean Annie's age? Oh, I, think. I'm sorry. I just want to make yes. sure we're not. Yes, yes. Annie's age, 20, 26. I, and, but the thing is, when people fall in love, they can be jerks and they can Absolutely. be so overwhelmed by their own happiness. Wrapped up in, yeah, and yes. you keep saying, I am I was overjoyed, um, I fell he- head over heels, you know, all these and And that's great, but it probably yep. means you didn't handle everything as well as possible before the fight um right and and so that that his understanding of the situation is is probably going to evolve too as as annie's will um and however she decides to move forward so i think that's also something he needs to consider is to to look back and to understand that his euphoria is is definitely blinding him to some things
1: Right. And again, that's not to say you should pretend you only sort of like your No, wife, be happy. Um, or that you're not thrilled. Yeah. Like I, I do wanna be clear, like that is not what you did wrong. Falling in love was not wrong. Um, but what you said to your daughter and possibly the ways in which you um wanted to sort of um make it sound like you weren't responsible for the situation you were in, sort of in order to, I think, maybe take some of your daughter's anger off of you. Because there are also ways in which, like, if she was angry and upset and hurt that you had found love elsewhere, like... That's not fair of her to put on you completely. Like, that's something, as a 26-year-old woman, she should address um, with a therapist, with her friends, uh, on her own. Like, it's okay to say, my dad's in love with someone new and I want to be happy for him, but all I can think about is my mom right now. Like, that's okay to feel, um, but that should not be what's driving your actions. But unfortunately, um, I think what you said to Annie... um, sort of, that's the big screeching halt that you have to address before you can talk about anything else. And that's just going to take time. So, um, congratulations on, on the impending birth of your daughter. Um, and, and I hope that you and Claire are very happy together. Um, and I think you just need to apologize to Annie, preferably in writing, and then give her time and space and accept that however long it takes, um, just let her know that she is loved, that you are sorry. Um, And don't try to force anything from her in terms of get over this now. Forgive me now. Come meet your sister and be part of this new family. Um, She's just going to have to decide whether or not or when she wants to do that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Okay. Well, we're ending on a slightly lighter note. Um, It is like a daily difficulty, but it is at least um, sort of it's lighter than Dead wife and mother, um, definitely. So go ahead and go ahead and read this last one, please. Subject:
0: Coaching staff with annoying personalities. How do I deal with an employee who does good work, has no performance issues, but annoys the crap out of everyone? Mary comments on everything repeatedly. E.g., if it's hot, she'll say, "It's hot out there." Don't you think it's hot out there? I think it's hot. Oh boy, but a ton of people are sweating today. And then every time a new person enters the building, she'll repeat it to them. Often this will be followed by a lot of repetitive comments about the weather, what it'll be like the next day, that weekend, next week. If someone leaves a pen on the counter rather than putting it back in a pen cup, she'll walk around to every staff person and say, is this your pen? This pen was on the counter just looking to see if anyone's lost their pen. She'll ask everyone individually, even if several people are nearby and would obviously pipe up if they are in. If they had indeed lost their pen, I'm at a loss for how to coach an employee who, performance wise, has no issues. Although she drives us crazy because we're around her all day, customers love her, and she is well known in the community. She's an older person who lives alone, so I think she's just used to talking to herself a lot and doesn't notice when other staff members give signs that they're tiring of her conversation. She isn't talking about anything inappropriate, so I don't see how I can forbid the behavior without restricting all staff conversation, which isn't realistic or fair. It's a tiny facility, so there's no, quote, go work in another room option. Help. What do I do? I started out by basically telling everyone else to suck it up and be nice. But truthfully, Mary has gotten on my last nerve as well. Sometimes I can cut things short, like telling her just put the damn pen away. But I'm at a loss on how to do this with her frequent observations about things like weather. Please tell me I have options other than be miserable until she retires or fire a beloved local granny for being too chatty.
1: Oh, man. Uh, oh, I have a lot of sympathy for everyone in this letter. Everyone. <laughs> everyone. Who, who do you fear that you are? Like, who, who do you see yourself as in this letter in your life?
0: Uh, the person getting annoyed. And then eventually, <laughs> possibly this this chatty older lady who lives alone and, um, you know, is getting. Here's the thing. She's getting a lot of positive feedback for her personality. She's. Loved by the community, it sounds like people like being greeted by her. They don't know that she's talked about the weather with every single person. They just know, hey, here's this in- smiling face and this person who wants to talk about something and seems interested and 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 then at the same time, though, I'd go insane. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean, I think sometimes there are people who are like that, who are fantastic with customers, and it's always kind of a shock to their coworkers because they're like, "You drive me out of my mind," and I can't imagine how this somehow works. But somehow, when you put them in front of a customer, it like just focuses them just enough that they seem like welcoming, expansive, exciting to be around, and not a, a frustration. Um, So do you feel like there is an option for this letter writer beyond wait for her to retire or fire her? I do feel like there's anything in between. I, I guess.
0: Can can he figure out a way he or she can can this person, this supervisor, figure out a way to maybe just eliminate one of the annoyances? So talking about the weather makes sense. You're greeting people fine, but like maybe the pen situation can be dealt with.
1: Yeah, I have a – I think there's a couple different boundaries that are important to work with, one of which is just, like, human beings are free to be annoying, right, and to talk about the weather. Um, so, in that sense, I think patience is a good idea. And to just think – this is going to sound really pretentious – but I think about this so often. You know that Marcus Aurelius quote about, like, begin each day by telling yourself? You know the one I mean? Yeah. I, I, uh, so – feel like I should also just say it for the readers but so Marcus Aurelius writes this really great moment of begin each day by telling yourself today I shall be meeting with interference ingratitude, insolence a disloyalty ill will and selfishness all of them due to the offenders ignorance of what is good or evil um, and it's great I like first read it in Woodhouse and I loved it because I think then like Bertie Wooster's immediate response was oh did he say that well then you can tell Marcus Aurelius he's a silly ass um, and I feel like both of those things are really true yeah. but like Yes. In addition to doing what I think you should do, you should also remember, like, that is a part of life. You are always going to have someone in the office who talks too much about the weather. Um, and that's not an accident. That's not a mistake. That's part of the, like, terrible joy of being in a society with other living beings, um, is you're just going to run into people who drive you nuts, even though they're well-meaning and kind, and get their work done. Um, and, and to bear in mind, like the the supervisor says... This woman gets her work done. Um, the 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 like interruptions are irritating, but not at a point where like no one else can get their work done. So to to keep it in its right place, right? Like it's an, it's annoying. I think you can address it. I think you can give her useful feedback and and try to move her in a different direction. Um, but this is not. Um, This is not as bad as it feels, right? Because it feels like you should rip your skin off, but it's not actually that bad. Oh, So that's one thing to bear in mind. Can you imagine how awful?
0: Oh, sorry. I was going to say, like, can you imagine how awful that must feel on a daily basis where you're just looking at this woman who's like this sweet older lady and you want to murder her?
1: Oh, and then you feel horribly guilty. Yeah. So then you try to, like, reach out to her because you're like, I'm such a bad person. She's not mean. She's not gossiping. She's not saying unkind things. I should try harder. And then she drives you crazy. And then you think, oh, my goodness, I'm such a bad person that even when she's being nice to me, I want to stab her in the face. And that makes you act with more repulsion. Totally. Um, and it just continues this cycle that Mary has no idea that this is going on. But inside, you're dying a 100 deaths every day just talking to her about pens. What's
0: your Um, what's your second piece of advice? Because that was it for me. Just just suck it up. Maybe find a way to deal with the pen situation.
1: So as the supervisor, I think, uh, you know, you should encourage your other employees that you previously said, just suck it up and just say, you know, listen, if if Mary is keeping you from your work, uh, talking about the weather, it is okay to kindly and politely say, I've got to get back to work now. Um, I think we should all feel free to say that more often. There's a lot of people who will write in and they will feel trapped by an, a coworker who, who is very, very chatty. It is not rude to say, we'll have to talk more later. I've got to get back to work and then not necessarily get back to it later. Um, so update the suck it up announcement you gave to everyone else and let them know, like, if it's if it's interfering with what you're doing, please know that like you're not going to get in trouble. That's not rude. It's OK. Um and then for you, supervisor, uh, this is part of why I'm so glad I don't supervise anyone. I-, I think you do get to talk about this with her in the context of like a general performance review. Um, not that you necessarily have to wait till next quarter or whatever, but you can, you know, wait until you are talking about a project or something else that she's working on. Um, and then just say, you know, there's something I also want to address with you. Um, I want to keep it in its right place. This is like not, anywhere near a nine or a 10 on a one to 10 scale. Um, But I've noticed that sometimes um, you will, you know, initiate off-topic conversations that go on for a really long time. Um, And I want to make sure that there are times to take breaks and chat, um, but I also don't want that to be ongoing throughout the day. I want to make sure that everyone is able to get their work done. And I've noticed that sometimes um, you will repetitively ask people about the weather um, or or ask a lot of questions of the same people in a row. Um, And I would love to see you um, check that behavior, rein it in. Um, Doesn't mean you have to take a Vow of silence every day when you come into the office, but it's something that I've noticed, and it seems to be a bit of a distraction. Um, and I'd love to help you um, minimize that. Um, and I think that that's both kind and honest, and um, you know that that's not like yelling at an old woman, like "shut up, no one cares what you think." Um, and it's phrasing it, you know, framing it in the context of making sure everyone's getting their work done.
0: Exactly. I mean, it's a small facility, so it can be distracting. That completely makes sense. That's a way to yes. talk. About and,
1: and then, like, in the moment when it comes up, it is, again, okay for you as a supervisor, not every day, not all the time, um, but to say something like, sounds like nobody's going to claim the pen, go ahead and put it back in the pen cup, uh, and, you know, then follow it up with a work question, like, do you have such and such a report? Um, and again, to say that patiently, to say it kindly, not to say it like, no one knows whose pen it is. Please, Mary, stop. Like, don't let it get to that point. Um, but you absolutely can, with discretion, um, interrupt the interruption. Agreed. yeah. And then beyond that, like if she wants to ask you what the weather's going to be like, you can just say, "You know, I don't know, and I'm going to get back to work."
0: Yeah, and I mean that that is that's some personal work that the supervisor has to do, too. Like we have to learn how to tolerate other people.
1: Right. And so those are things you can do. Those are not necessarily going to be cure alls She is still going to be chatty. And so it is after you have done all you reasonably can to limit and forestall this behavior that you get to remember our old friend Marcus Aurelius and remind yourself, um, this is the, you know, kind of downside of my office. Other offices have something like this and this is mine. Um, and my job every day is to think of Mary as an opportunity to be patient, to be clear, um, to offer helpful feedback to my employees, um, and not to let myself get to a point where I want to, you know, throw someone out a window. Oh, Hopefully not. Yeah. I mean, again, I, I, I use a lot of like throwing yourself out of things or throwing people into volcanoes imagery. Um, and I hope everyone just is aware this is very hyperbolic. I don't want anyone to throw anything anytime, anywhere, I guess, unless they're playing a sport. Yes.
0: Alexis, we did it. We did it. We solved everyone's we solved problems. problems. <laughs> I think their lives are all going to be
1: really improved by this. Yeah. We're, we're great. We did well. Yeah. <laughs> we, are, we are fantastic. Yeah. Um, thank you so much for for coming on this show and for just sharing i i'm gonna be thinking about that i've i what was it i I release you I set you free yeah
0: i i yeah, I set you free.
1: it's so yeah, good right I'm that Lisa doing that a lot, yeah, good old Lisa, just like, hey, you don't have to hang on to that
0: yeah it's and it's actually like it's really nice to hear that from someone else and it's also maybe a nice way for them to say like i don't wanna I don't wanna hear about this anymore. <laughs>
1: Yes, yes, it is a very gentle way of saying like, "Hey, you, you should stop hanging on to this. It's, it's enough." Well, Alexis, once again, thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, when is your George Washington book coming out? Uh, can you can you tell? I our don't guests know. Anything
0: about it? <laughs> it's due in January of twenty eighteen, so I think later on in the year. But um, there's a lot that happened in this whole founding era. I imagine stuff was going on. Stuff was going on. First hundred days were pretty crazy.
1: Well, thank you for that little foretaste uh, of the book, which is going to be just basically like, oh, stuff was happening. Stuff was happening. End. (laughs) Awesome. Alexis, you are sane and sage, uh, and I'm so glad that you were on the show. uh, And I wish you all the best in your own personal life. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Dear Prudence. Our producer is Audrey Dilling. Our theme music was composed by Robin Hilton. Steve Lichtai is the executive producer of Sleep Podcasts. And Andy Bowers is the chief content officer of Panoply. And if you like this show, please go to iTunes and write us a review. If you want me to answer your question, call me and leave a message at 401-371-DEAR. That's 3327. And you might hear your answer on an episode of the show. You don't have to use your real name or location. And at your request, we can even alter the sound of your voice. Keep it short. 30 seconds a minute tops.